Hello, Dexter Morgan fans, and welcome to the Dexter New Blood Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Reynolds, writer and producer of the Showtime original series, Dexter, and now the new Showtime special events series, Dexter New Blood. First things first, for those Dexter New Blood Wrap-Up listeners who still don't have Showtime yet, I have a solution for you. Visit show.com forward slash Dexter pod for a special limited time offer. Uh, Try Showtime free for 30 days then pay just $8.99 a month for 12 months. This offer is for new customers only and expires January 3rd, 2022. So get on it, because you don't want to be listening to this podcast without knowing what's already happened. It's, it'd be just spoiling everything. Now, joining me today to break down episode six of Dexter New Blood is two of Iron Lake's finest, David Magadoff, who plays Officer Teddy Reed, and Katie Sullivan, the glue that holds Iron Lake Police Department together, Dispatcher Esther. And later we're going to talk to the writer of this episode, Warren Shoe Leonard, and discuss how the story came together. But for now, let's get into it. Oh my God. I am so happy that you two are here. I think, I think uh, that's David. I think you're, hap- I think you're happier than, than me. <laughs> that's, but that's just sort of a general thing between you and I. That yeah, I'm generally I'm, happier and you're. I'm pleased to be here. It's pleasant. This, is a pleasant to, this has been pleasant, and I can't wait for it to continue to be pleasant. But Katie, please, I don't want to overtake you here. No, I'm, uh, I think I am more excited to be here than you, clearly. So that's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> both have, um, I remember when we watched at the, uh, at the premiere, you both got laughs almost immediately, <laughs> technically. I mean, well, Katie was on screen first. Yeah, I showed up before. I mean, yeah, it's that's, not. A, that's true too. It's not a contest, although it, it's kind of a contest. It's, it, it's kind of a contest. <laughs> Comedy is always a. Katie consistently wins best hair on. That's on right. Fair. New blood. Fair. Let's talk about how you guys became actors, because a lot of times people, you know, I don't know how how you got to be where you are. You you both have like very different journeys, I imagine. Uh, Katie, how and why and all of that. I always liked being the center of attention, but at, at some point when I was a kid, <laughs> I saw uh, and I was like, how the hell are these children doing this? And I grew up in Alabama, so like that was not a thing. You couldn't go audition for a movie or for TV or whatever. So I, I was, I've been, I went to my first audition when I was 12 and I have just been an actor as long as I could muscle my way to the front of the line my entire life. Got my degree in acting, went to a conservatory in St. Louis called Webster Conservatory and primarily did a bunch of theater and spent some time doing some theater. And now I'm bouncing around on TV. That's, yeah. you know. I mean, so it was your true north, it sounds like. It wasn't like, you know, like Warren, oh, no. who's going to be on the episode later, has a very different journey to becoming a writer. No, no, no. My, my parents, this was it. My dad was a doctor. My mother is a scientist and they were like, dear God, our child wants to be an actor. Like we don't know (laughs) what to do with her except just let her try. So yeah, that's where we are. They're supportive. That's good. good. Magadoff. How about you? First off, I want to amend my excitement level of being here. (laughs) I, I'm thrilled to be perfectly honest, unabashedly, to be doing this with you, Scott. <laughs> Viewing this means that I was in Dexter New Blood. That is not what I thought would have happened to me <laughs> a year ago. So I'm honestly, it is a joy that this is even happening. I began 
acting just through improv comedy. And I never, I made fun of all my friends who went to college for acting degrees. <laughs> Katie, did you? I've paid it off, so it's fine. It's fine. No, it's I'm great. Fine. And I was an idiot, though, because I'm the one who came out with an acting degree, and my friends who had who were going in with acting degrees came out with other degrees. So I'm the joke's on me, but I guess it worked out too. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe there was no joke at all. And yeah, improv's been my through line. I somehow have a very odd career of hosting game shows and being in high profile hour long dramas and. It's been a blast. <laughs> I don't know how it happened, and I'm thrilled to be here. Were you guys, uh, were you both fans of the original series when it, when it came out, or, or was it something new to you? I was the biggest Dexter fan. I don't even know if I've like gone on the record saying that yet, but like, um, <laughs> I, uh, I think it was the last show that I watched live where you would be like, yeah. Oh, I have to, it's, you know, it's eight o'clock. We get everybody shut up. Like, you know, like it was one <laughs> of those types of shows for me. It was just, I was such a big fan. So even getting an audition for this show was uh, terrifying and exciting. And I was so pumped to be able to be a part of this. I mean, auditioning has changed so much from what it used to be where you'd go into a room and you'd meet people and all of that. And now it's just a, a video on your iPhone and you send it in and that's kind of how you start the process. And then the callbacks yeah. are crazy I feel things. Like that's harder. Oh, it's totally harder. Is you don't, it's hard to know where to look. Like, it's hard to know, like, do I look at the green dot? Do I look at the person's face on the screen? Like if it, you know, you don't. Yeah. And acting is all about connecting with other people. So the idea of not being able to look into somebody's eyes is really a challenge. So David, um, how about you? Fan of the show back in the day? How did you, and then uh, uh, auditioning, the process, all of that. People are very interested in, to know how that happens and, did not watch a lot of the yeah. original run of Dexter. And I'd like to follow that up with, I think that worked out in my favor because I didn't come into Iron Lake knowing a lot of history with Dexter Morgan. And I think, I yep. think it's nice to not know. I think it's nice to sort of like be fresh and be new. Um, so that's my Jack, spin Jack Alcott felt the same way. Like he, he, did, he stopped watching it. Like he, he was catching up. And he's like, is it, I don't want to know too much. For me, for, for Harrison's sake, yeah. It makes all the sense in the world. The less we know, the better. And you go for it. And that was this wonderful experience. I did a tape and then they were like, oh, we want to see you do a little more of this. And then I did another tape and Scott was, I think, the first person to give me a little bit of good news that it was looking good. And then it sounded like, uh, sounded like Showtime yep. said yes to me, uh, to hopefully <clears throat> their happiness. And... Uh, what, what was your first impressions of uh, of your of your of your characters when you finally got to see? Because it's pretty secretive the whole process. I mean, I remember like Jack tells a story about he didn't even know he was Harrison until he was reading against Michael. He was he was a character named Randall, you know, right? Um, but you guys, it was a little more open as far as what your, your characters. So first impressions. My first impression of Esther was just like, oh my god let's get out the blue eyeshadow. Like, let's, <laughs> how extra can we be? And, um, you know, how, how, she just was so colorful. 
that she just sort of leaped off the page for me. So like, I immediately just went way too far. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) they will pull me back. But you didn't. Like, I just stayed there. So it was, um, she just is, uh, I, I think she just loves being such an extravagant, you know, dresser and hair and nails and all of these things that, I mean, honestly, as an actor, there's very little to do when you look like that. You just let the wardrobe and the makeup and the hair do all the work for you. It's really what I want to say about Esther. Yeah. And it took a while, man. I remember every morning you, you, you had to come in earlier than most people. I was always the earliest person by hours because of all the teasing, yeah. the teasing of the hair. Yeah, it's like the hair and then the makeup and then the nails. Yeah, yeah. The nails were their own character. A hundred percent. I remember that uh, episode three, I think it's episode three, when uh, when Dexter walks into the station and Esther's on the phone just gossiping up a storm. Yeah, well, I mean, who can blame her? She's she's the one that is the most connected. I feel like sometimes the right jobs find the right people. And I think being a police dispatcher was just the perfect outlet for Esther and her desire and hunger for knowledge or AKA gossip. She knows everything before everybody else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the minute Dexter walks into place, she's already asking about the Matt and the gun. Right, immediately. <laughs> and is actively, hungrily interested in everybody's opinions about it. And it doesn't even feel like she's necessarily wants to know so that she can spout her own opinion, which she, she'll give. Yeah, she'll give. <laughs> she does, though. She, she does. She's a giver. She's a giver. <laughs> yeah. But she's also, I just think she has just this un. <laughs> this hunger for information. And that is sort of her seat of power. Yeah, the first person you meet when you walk into uh, the Iron Lake Police Department. Um, David, Teddy. Teddy Reed. Um, Teddy was exactly what I my favorite parts to do, which is I look at it and go, I can't be a cop. And then I go, oh, wait, that's what they want. <laughs> Oh, wait, that's exactly who this guy is. I usually play either the most wide-eyed, naive person in the room or the smartest person in the room, and I think Teddy's both. I think Teddy thinks he sometimes can be the smartest person in the room and then realizes quickly that he is also the most naive person. I think it it, it happens instinctually. Um, And I've I've told you this, Scott, I, I love... It's one of my favorite things about Teddy. I remember in the breakdowns when I was getting ready to audition and it says, you know, he was in Afghanistan fighting or, you know, was served there for a time. And my, it really, like, my brain was like, all right, so he's been overseas. He saw some things. And I kept trying to figure out how to weave that into the small town <laughs> cop. Uh, let's just say it makes sense that he sat behind a desk. Yeah, I feel like I get the sense of Teddy served in the military in any way. He was like in the cafeteria. Like he was, like, <laughs> he was wearing rubber gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Scooping mashed potatoes. But they were the best mashed potatoes oh, that yeah. any people wanted to go to his, his base for, sure. for those mashed potatoes. A lot of butter. <laughs> the secret right. is just too much butter. And also, I came in clean shaven yep. and... Yep. Uh, well, I know I auditioned clean shaven and I came in with the mustache because I had a gig previously that, that I used it for. And I was very curious if you guys were going to say yes or no to the mustache. And I got the thumbs he up from the Clyde mustache. Phillips. And saying, you're, 
he loved it. And you're still rocking it too, though. So like you just this is you think the mustache is is here to stay for for a beat. I think we're okay. at least finished in 2021 with it. That's that's where I think we're at with it. Who knows what next year might bring? But um, he and right. I are he and I are <laughs> <Yeah>. simpatico. <laughs> Let's talk about the sense of community. One of the things that we really wanted to make different, back in the old show, I'll tell David this because he didn't watch the show. <laughs> um, back, in the, <laughs> back in the old show, uh, it was a very urban environment. You know, they were a homicide squad. They dealt with three, four, five murders every week. It was bloody and violent. It was Miami. It was colorful. We chose sort of like this small town, three, three cops, right? Yeah. Angela, Logan... Teddy, and then Katie at the front. We're we'll talking about just what you guys did to sort of create this small town version of the police force that Dexter's tangentially sort of involved with. Well, I would say it starts with you guys first for literally putting us in a small town. We didn't shoot this in LA. We didn't shoot this in New York. You know, Katie and me and Alano and Julia and everyone and you, we all moved and picked up our lives for a bit, essentially, and went into the middle of Massachusetts. I mean, which essentially was what, like, from the real Iron Lake, New York, of which there's only, the, there's the lake, there's no actual city, but like how many, it's still fairly close in the grand spectrum of things from probably where it really was supposed to happen. And we took over that tiny town of Shelburne Falls, uh, which was absolutely beautiful and everyone was so kind. Also, Katie was best friends and did a lot of theater with my best friend's wife, who, of course, is now my great, great friend. So we had an immediate connection from there. And so, you know, it's a small world, right? All I knew was that he was working on the show. I didn't realize who we who we were in, to, in relation to each other uh, right away. So I was just like, okay, I'm going to look out for this guy named David. Like, that sounds fun. And then he was sitting next to me <laughs> for yeah. my first day shooting. He's your closest. It was sort of that isolation in terms of, I mean, God, COVID, but like also being out there on location and being together in that way and say, you know, when you're done, you're like, want to have dinner? Like, <laughs> like there's nothing else for you to do. So you go to dinner with each other and you really start to build true bonds with your cast members, which can only translate to genuine interaction on screen. Another one of my favorite moments is when uh, it's, it's the first episode, when you know Dexter and Angela are getting busy in a in a in a, in a car. You guys don't know that. Esther might know. Um, I, I have a feeling she kind of knew something was happening. All, the way that she kept getting uh, Angela kept pulling Dexter over. Oh, you think you think Esther kind of knows that she that they do this little play? I wouldn't be surprised. Play oh, Esther. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, Either that or she's uh -oh. on the treadmill. Like, what is okay. she? Why are you breathing heavy? <laughs> like, what are you doing, Angela? <laughs> but uh, uh, when uh, when Angela's like, can you send Teddy? And just that look across. That was my first day on set, and just that I knew immediately that day. I was like. This is good. And I was like, I will I will take you and I will put you in my purse and I will have you forever. You know what I mean? Like it was just sort of one of those people that's like, yeah, uh -huh. you know, but also like we immediately like played well off of each other, which uh, which is always exciting to then go back, you know, yeah. and do more. As the season goes on, even though there may not be lines that are happening or whatever, we see you guys all the time. It seems like every time we're in the police station, there's Teddy, there's Esther, 
We lived a lot of life at those desks. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Yeah, David. David's been like posting pictures on it on his Instagram of uh, of his desk and the life at his desk. I think it's been. I saw. Yeah, I, I did. I did that today. You got. You know, what's the life of, you know, yeah. I, there's rubber band balls. I don't want to do any spoilers. Yeah, that was very important to me. Balls and there's, um, I'm, I haven't posted it yet, but I, I took photos of the magazines that props and art yep, department agreed. did so well. There's a, a poultry yep. monthly. The, uh, <laughs> that is a yeah. real magazine. The centerfold that, in that, that thing. lived in the Iron Lake PD office. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. Another another favorite moment. I, I know I'm just like talking about all the stuff I love that you guys have been doing, but it's in episode six when Dexter comes walking into the station. Esther immediately knows what just happened with this, that, that uh, there's, there's a breakup is imminent. Well, look at the track record of, of who we're talking about. She goes through them, like, you know, I will say this. I feel like Esther has a real soft spot for Jim. And I feel yeah. like the minute Jim walks in, I think I think Esther is hoping Jim is the one for Angela. Like, I really feel like she's like, okay, this is it. Like, this is, this is the one. And I feel like um, she has a, they have a very, to me, they have a very sweet, relationship. And I think that's part of the fun of the series and of Dexter in general is his charm. And the fact that he yeah. has learned how to simulate a human being, you know, like he yeah. sort of does this thing <laughs> where he's like, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff on the, on the inside, but on the surface, I am this, I am pretending to be a normal human being with feelings and you know, all of that stuff. And he's really good at it. And I think that that's where, when we looked at the original series where people Never, uh, never assumed it was him. There had to be big moments for people when they realized it because he plays that game so well and he wears that mask so well. And I think that yeah. that's where his relationship with Esther sits is in this just charmed. She's charmed by him. Yeah, like when when they hug in uh, the previous episode and he's like, you bring it in and they, and they hug and all Dexter's, Jim Lindsay is like looking for human compassion about his child and right. warmth and love. Dexter Morgan is looking over the shoulder and going, I'm going to kill this mofo. <laughs> exactly. So like it's, and, and she in that moment is like, oh, you come here, you poor thing. Like here, <laughs> yeah. bless your heart. Bless your yeah, heart. Bless exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched some of the episodes now from the previous seasons. How can I not? And What's fun about this new season, though, is that he actually, 10 years in, it's, he very much is trying to put a face on in yep. those eight seasons. You know, this, he, he, there is a real, he wants to make humanity work for him. He really wants to be a person who loves and enjoys life and sits down and has meals with family at a very yep. voracious way that is very beautiful. And so it's fun to actually see him try to like keep, he has it yep. and he's trying to hold on to it. I think that's really what's making this a, a special. And that's what I think makes it actually so special when he walks in and then the, just me and Katie and Alano looking up at him, like we all see and like seeing <laughs> yeah. that Angela walks through. It is this like, oh Lord, the last thing you need is dating no. advice from any of no. these three people. And then... 
<laughs> he gets some yeah, makeup playlist yeah. stuff from Logan, and oh my gosh, it's just it's just a cringe moment, but it's it's Iron Lake PD at, at its best. <laughs> this was sort of like your biggest episode. You want to talk about that when you when you got to six and the process of was that like week one or two? We just put you in a snowsuit and stuck you in the woods. It was day one. Day one, even better. I was put in the snowsuit. I met Marcos. You're standing. You're there. All everyone's yeah, in the, the puffy shields and that masks North and <laughs> and could make. Yeah, whatever <laughs> yeah. Patagonia <laughs> coats and anyone has. Everyone had two of them with COVID masks and face shields and and goggles just for the the cold and the wind. And I'm wearing a giant snowsuit. I've never worn anything <laughs> that big in my life with a beanie, with everything. And I'm coming off this like yeah. snowmobile, <laughs> like I do. And meeting Julia for the first time, meeting Marcos, the director, for the first time. Clyde was also there, but Clyde is known for having like a goggles, goggles <laughs> yeah. on top of goggles yeah. and hats on top of hats. So a lot of people never really knew first, what his face looked like winter, in general. Yeah, first um, and, 50 days of winter. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and you're just like, all right, and here we are, and I have to have this like vulnerable moment, and you know, sharing he's never seen a dead body before. Clearly, yeah. that was the giveaway of not <laughs> yeah. a lot happened in <laughs> Afghanistan. Scott, I figured you get it. <laughs> There's a really interesting thing that happens with actors, where, and specifically with television, specifically with television, where, and we you saw it with all the guest stars too. You just show up, and everyone did all their work. Everyone did like I, like they lit it for like an, like two hours. All the lighting department and the the DPs got all the you know focusing right, and the director has storyboarded this experience. You guys have been in, breaking the story and have written it and have rewrote it and have gotten the notes and everything. And now here you are, and the actor doesn't get to be a part really generally. Yeah. A, a much of that process, and you just sort of jump in nine out of ten times, and you just are expected to do the work, and that is the difference between a professional actor and just having a, a good time doing acting. Is like to do TV and film work, you have to be ready to get very little, and know that it's probably yep. two or three takes tops. I'm glad I've had enough experience to know that and to not be annoyed or or upset or anything by it, and just to be able to jump right in and be like, and instead actually enjoy it. Be like, how cool is this that they trust me so much? How do they trust us so much that don't look at it? Yeah. I, I look at it that way, and then I can just jump right in, and my stupid old snowsuit covered in everything, meeting everyone for the first time, being like getting in a van, driving up a mountain, getting yeah. in a gator, driving up. Like, I haven't met anybody. I haven't done anything. I haven't talked to anybody about this scene. And you just got to get right into it. And to me, though, it's a compliment. And I think it's actually a really cool moment to look back on. In some ways, it's a lot about your initial instincts and you bring more of yourself to something um, instead, cause you're not having weeks and weeks of rehearsal necessarily like you do for theater or you do for even a film, like there's tends to be more, more, you know, preparation and, and rehearsal and stuff. And with this, it's kind of just like being really in the moment and alive, which I think you get on TV, in TV that, uh, is really fun as an actor. And it was even more intense this season of Dexter Newblood because of the way we had to shoot it and because of COVID restrictions, 
Um, you know, normally back in the old show, we would do a read through, you know, at, at some point during the week where all the actors that were coming on, maybe just for an episode or two, would be able to get, meet everybody and you'd, and right. you'd, 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 you know, you'd hear it, you could adjust from it. Uh, on this, we were, we were not able to do any read throughs and we were jumping around from episode to episode. I mean, to, to your point, David, that like we were out in the woods in the cavern in the mountains with snow everywhere. Uh, on day one, a real cave. <laughs> what four months later? We're in a uh, cave that Eric Weiler and uh, Heather has have made this incredible cave on set, uh, and you have to pick up right where you left off, even though that was three and a half months ago. Yeah, it's and to me, it's it's a special thing. It's yep. the magic that we do. Like I, I I look at those moments and I just go. How cool! How cool that when you watch the show, it all's yep. that's the that's movie magic. That's why we do what we do to see the story be pieced together, and you can do something months apart. And it's just so fun how everything has to come together, and it's you can't take any of it for granted. And I think that's what's making this season also, very special. Just watching it, continuing on that though, I, I love when at the top of the, at the top of it when he's when Teddy's about to go in the cave, he's like, I don't know what's going to happen to me if I see a dead body. They get inside. They find they find this very surprising dead body, and it's Teddy who's like this, not the strong one, but the Teddy's the one that's like offering the as much compassion as he can give to his boss that he's kind of afraid of. <laughs> yeah, because I think he's realizing that this is she's she's being she's picking the pieces together and pulling the pieces together that this might be someone she this might be Iris, and I think she's like I hope it's not, but at the same time she's probably like I. I hope it is because mm-hmm. this is all she's been focusing on for a long, long time now. So this is a major moment. And I felt very like, as a person, it's like, even though <laughs> Julia just got the script as an actress like any of us and, you know, learned her lines like she did and whatnot. But like, Julia really takes things to heart, as we all know. And she really, she really got herself grounded in the experience, and I really wanted to be there for her as a storyteller, as an actor, as a moment in that in that moment to to just recognize. I think Teddy, you know, I'm I'm an empathetic person, and and I I wanted to lean yeah. into that for this moment where I'm not just like a complete dunce and just like, what are you? What's why are you? Why are you? Why are you? Why are you? You didn't so go for sad? the job. Why are you didn't so do, sad, yeah. Chief Bishop? And I don't. No, it was great. Yeah, and I just. It's a lot going on in that moment, and like you said, the, they created such an amazing experience with the cave. And I was really, I, I was so excited to start with that scene, and I would, I knew that that was like the last yeah. week or two we were doing, and it was such a fun thing to look forward to, like crawling through. They made, I mean, they're making the caves, you know, they're constantly misting it with misters. You know, we're of course wearing these giant snowsuits yeah, now sweating. in the studio, so we're. Yeah. Schwitzing and the rat. Schwitzing. Um, we added a rat. The mouse, yeah, came through and they did a bit with Teddy, you know, where yeah. I like jump back and like, oh gosh, and the Teddy's mousophobic and stuff. But um, it, it came out really cool. And um, but Julia did have to get in there with yeah. with that with that rat. Yeah, we we wanted to really get that sort of claustrophobic feeling that you get from you know yeah. Neil Marshall's The Descent, you know. Um, just to, and uh, and it, I, I feel like it, it it worked out that way. Um, one of the, one of the things I, I always ask oh, yeah. uh, the actors when they come on the on the podcast is, uh, do you have any like favorite moments or memories, for, you know, uh, from working on it? You know, don't not past six, or it could be things, you know, 
in the you know in the dressing room or something strange that happened and the the drawing that the PA made of you in the hallway, you know, it could be anything. It sounds so cliche and stupid, but this entire experience was just a pinch me situation. And um, I have to say that my first day on set and like a, a much of my time with Michael C. Hall as my acting partner. And that first day yeah. I was just like, that's Michael C. Hall. <laughs> like, that's, that's, you know, you look, you know who you look like? You look just like Dexter Morgan, like that, like that sort of, you know, it's, it's uh, like we were saying earlier, you know, I think it's rare to be a fan of something and then, and especially something that just, that was already over ended. Like, how would we have ever known that this was going to be a thing again and, and let alone be a part of it. So just top to bottom, the whole thing. Yeah. I, I asked a couple of people who had previously worked on the show. I was like, "Hey, any you know people to look out for? Heads up or this or that?" And of course, this person said, "For the first thing, this person said, I'll let them remain nameless, but uh, was Scott Reynolds is a very great guy." So that, I'm not I'm not joking. Uh, he's laughing. This is that's, that's, that's the first you. thing. <laughs> that's lovely. I'll share one of my favorite things that happened on this set was uh, watching David Magadoff walk up to everybody. And figure out their enneagram number. <laughs> so if you if you see if you see David Magadoff in the street and you, you want to know your enneagram number, he can help you. Or and, or uh, if you or if you know yours, he will be endlessly fascinated. If you're just like I'm an eight, right. and he's like fascinating. That's <laughs> so interesting. Scott, you tell everyone what your enneagram number is, and everyone can Google this E N N E A and Google this. You're an eight. Uh, Katie. We went through this. We went around and around and around. And I don't know what. Didn't we say you were a four? Didn't we nail a four? <laughs> this is how, this uh, is how serious but I this was. It's just yeah. a fun thing to do with yeah. everybody on set. When you're with people for six months, I learned a lot about everybody. It's the Enneagram. You can Google it. This is not something that I was nope. paid to do. This is a free thing. It's a personality test. Enjoy. But yes, I learned everybody's numbers. And apparently, almost every woman on the yeah. show yeah. is an eight. I'm outing some people, but I don't think... But Jamie Chung was an eight. Julie is an eight. Johnny's an eight. Marcos was an eight. Um, uh, Giselle Jimenez yeah, was an you eight. You just added Marcos to that list of women. <laughs> 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 he is a sensitive soul. He's a sensitive soul. Well, listen, hey, thank you guys so much for uh, for coming on the podcast, man. It was a joy and a pleasure uh, watching you guys take a bunch of words on paper and turn them into magic and turn them into real people uh, that I think people are going to connect with. I'd like to just, we're going to do a, a little golf clap here right now for you mm -hmm. uh, that you wrote a wonderful, wonderful episode. Rewatching it for this podcast it was, uh, there's a lot there's a that lot happens that in happens. this episode. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Packed well it done, in. My friend. It was well thick. Done. It was a thick one. Thanks so much, David. Thanks so much, Katie. You guys were amazing. Now joining me to break down Too Many Tuna Sandwiches, episode six of Dexter New Blood, my co-writer Warren Shoe Leonard. Let's get into it. All right. Let's talk about the process of writing this episode together. And, and um, it feels like a year and a half ago, it does. I, yeah, I it, it was, was so long ago. Um, yeah, it was a long time ago. I don't remember exactly when it was, um, but it was great. It was really fun. It was so much fun to get to work with you, uh, Scott. Um, Ditto. And uh, I don't know if people, yeah, know like how, you know, sometimes uh, writers will team up and pair up and work together on an episode and they do it all different ways. But I think, 
I think you and I, we broke the episode in the room, you know, with everyone, with Clyde and everyone. Yep. And then we yep, split yep. the episode in half, I believe, right? So I wrote the first half and you yep, wrote the yep, second. Yep. You wrote the first half, I wrote the second yep. half. And then we then we yep. swapped and passed it back and forth to each other and gave each other notes. And, mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then assembled. And uh, uh, it turned out really good, I think. I, I remember when we were breaking this episode that we were... Um, Man, we were dealing with a a lot of plot, you know. We've got Harrison taking a job with Kurt. We get to reveal who Kurt really is, that he is mm-hmm. this uh yeah. insane uh killer that's sort of loosely based on a serial killer that captured women and brought them up to his cabin up in Alaska. Um but he was a lot more horrific things happened with that guy. It was funny, Kurt Clancy, when he got cast, he showed us a picture of a serial killer that had that sort of beard and the white hair. And he goes, what do you think I look mm-hmm. like this? And we're like, great. <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah. Yeah, he's so good in this episode. And then we start the episode with a bang because it was one of those episodes where I remember when we, when we got to the end of episode five, that Gary and everybody at Showtime said, are we moving too fast? Because we reveal, because, you know, at the end of the last episode, Angela finds out Mm-hmm. That his name is actually Dexter Morgan, and that he faked his own death mm-hmm. by that obituary. So that's that's mm-hmm. where we started, and that was fun. Yeah, an incredible moment, I think, in the history of the show. You know, there aren't too many moments in the history of the show where someone, especially a police officer, basically sees through an identity that he's constructed. I mean, to me, it really reminded me of the Arthur Mitchell moment in season four when he he gets to the police station and says, "Hello, Dexter Morgan." So it was really fun to get to write that moment. It's put him right in the flames, basically, in, in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, it's one, of, it's one of the things I like to do with shows, and I think you're the same way, that just really go for it. Really write yourself into a corner. Really try to crank up the stakes, especially nowadays where there's like so much stuff you could watch. Yeah, I love that too. I think as a writer, whenever we're in a, in a room and we get to a point where somebody makes a pitch and we're all like, that's amazing, but how would we get out of that? I love that moment and I think we always should lean into it because that's when we know the audience also will be saying, how do we get out of it? And I think that we started in that place for this episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I love too, like Dexter's response when she pulls him over, that they're going to play this weird cosplay thing that they have going on, you know? And he's like, thank Mm -hmm. you. That was was an addition that Michael did on the day where he's like, you know, yes, mistress. Oh, that's that's great. And just how like, that's truth. There's a certain amount of truth to that too, because Dexter's cosplaying his this whole life. Yep, yep. So even their relationship is sort of steeped in this sort of thing is cool and interesting. Yeah, that was great. And I think where it led was great. That scene where Dexter is really tap dancing now with this long monologue that he has when they get back to the police station, you know, and I think he's just trying to come up with anything plausible to give to Angela in this moment. And it's fun to watch him sort of do that tap dance. And he's sharing truth too. Like a lot of a lot of that are the answers that we have been looking for, that a lot of fans have been looking for, I think, about the hurricane and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it is it is Dexter stating a truth. He wouldn't have shared it any other way. He was sort of he was forced to share because he was caught. But uh, I remember when we were breaking this episode, when we were first start, sort of talking about it in, in the, the very early stages of it, one of the things I always wanted, or like I really wanted to do was sort of start with, she's basically saying, you know, screw you, Dexter Morgan, and then ending the episode with, I need Dexter Morgan. Yeah. In order to sort of like heal this fractured relationship. Because it's a tough thing to come back from when you, I mean, I, I, this hasn't happened to me. I don't know about you, 
but to find out that the person you are having a relationship with is fake their death. Yeah, I think it will be a very tough thing to come back from if he's able to. I'm not sure that he will be able to. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he is telling truth in this monologue, but at the same time, you know, we end it with that moment of him saying, but you're going to keep my secret, right? And so... He is also being very practical about this. He's sort of using the the her past as well, um, saying, you know, I know that you understand what grief looks like, you know, with Iris and and your past, your husband. It's a little, there's like a little bit of icky manipulation going on, sprinkled yeah. in with all this truth. And I think she responds to that in a in a great way. She sees it. She doesn't trust him anymore, and she yeah. says, I don't really need Jim Lindsay anymore. So that's great. And then, like you said, we come to this moment at the end of the episode where that's flipped and Dexter is what she needs. I love that um, when Dexter walks out of there, he's he's sort of spinning out. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not thinking necessarily, like if this were any other time, he probably would have just like packed his bags and moved to another place. But he's got a mm-hmm. son now. Yeah. Sort of grounding him and keeping him here. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a life that he sort of wants to hold on to, you know. Um, I love his blindness too when he says, does this mean you're breaking up with me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Because he doesn't have a lot of experience with real relationships, I don't think. But I also think that that conversation really opens up a thematic for the episode, which is, are you Jim Lindsay or are you Dexter Morgan? And I think through this episode, Dexter has been trying to be both and believes that he can be both. And I think this episode feels like one where he is being forced to choose a little bit in an interesting way and building for the rest of the season. His pursuit of Kurt and what's happening between Kurt and Molly have that sort of like surprise that that hit him is a very serial killer central to Dexter, you know, putting the phone Mm -hmm. on the thing, listening to the conversation, thinking, is she the one that's Mm -hmm. into me? And then finding out this whole other thing, which leads to the title of the episode, too many fucking tuna sandwiches. And then on the other hand, talking to what you're talking about, that Dexter's like, am I Dexter Morgan or, or am I Jim Lindsay? There's this really moving, pivotal scene between Dexter and Harrison in therapy. Yeah, that was a great scene. You know, I mean, my entire family's in therapy all the time. So I had lots to build off of, years of therapy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's the push-pull for for Dexter is how honest can I be here? How much? Because it's a risk even to go to therapy. You don't know what Harrison's yeah. going to say to this therapist. So how is it worth the risk? Does Harrison really need this? He actually asks Deb, you know, in the beginning, was therapy the right idea? So he's obviously internally battling with yeah. opening up and being Jim Lindsay and his family, you know? And it got to that great line that was not my line. It was pitched in the room. I don't know if it was you or Clyde or someone else. Um, someone pitched, I feel abandoned on the couch right now. That was Clyde. Which I thought was just, beginning. Yeah. That was Clyde. Yeah, very yeah. great, great line. And and the button on the scene that made the scene worth it. And, and I thought it was very true to see these two. You know, there's been such a push-pull between these two in the season. It was nice to see a little little bit more of them coming together at different times um, and him trying a little bit. But I think the thing that's important if you have these rifts between the characters is to also try to make both characters right as much as possible. And, you know, when you go back to that scene when he's going to get the job with Kurt and he's arguing, you know, that's a scene that a teenager, you know, someone who's like 17 would have with their parents. Like, I need a little more freedom. I want this job. You're not ready. I'm not going to sign the paper. I mean, that just on that level, it was a very understandable and relatable scene. And then to go even further, obviously, you know, Dexter's concerns about Kurt make him write about it as well. And I think 
uh, Harrison feels right in his position as well. Yeah. So I think it's really important that they were both right uh, so often in their battling. And then in the middle of all of that, we have this agent of chaos, Deb, <laughs> who who is just the this this voice of this is never going to work out to to Dexter in the middle of it. I loved I loved uh, on the day the way that Marcos sort of popped her in and out and placed her all over the room, mm-hmm. stating the truth that Dexter can never say to anybody. And then yeah. there was that great line that Deb, that Jennifer Carpenter uh, had in in the day that wasn't in the script that I love, where she's like, um, after she lists out all the reasons why Dexter can't share anything more, she says, you better talk, everybody's waiting for you. <laughs> Which plays into that awkward <laughs> silence great. that is actually, that may or may not be happening in, in, uh, yeah. in those moments. Yeah, you know, I remember <laughs> when we were breaking that episode, we had... Um, we had conceptualized Dexter and Harrison sitting on opposite sides of that sofa just to visually yeah. see the gulf between them. But then, of course, it makes so much sense for Deb just to be sitting in between them as well, you know, yeah. talking to Dexter when it's his turn to talk. It's great. Yeah. That- Deb's character in this episode is fun because I think she's showing a lot of different flavors to Deb. You know, there was that very nice moment in the beginning of like, I'm, I'm proud of you. That energy was really nice. Yep. to see as well. It's not all being furious at him. Yeah, well, especially, especially in that scene following, if we're just talking about following Deb's sort of journey in this episode, uh, one of my favorite mm-hmm. scenes in the whole ninth, you know, uh, the Dexter New Blood season is the one after Harrison gets, you know, dropped off by Chief Bishop for sleeping with, <laughs> sleeping with her daughter. He yeah. goes to his room mm-hmm. and you have Dexter and Deb alone. And, you, and it was like the most sort of this is how they might have been if they if she were still alive and were friends and were siblings when she's like yeah you know you are not ready to be a granddad <laughs> that was a great moment the sex and, talk and all of that. I loved it yeah. and they're chuckling about it yeah which is great yeah it was really wonderful I think moment. it probably will make people sort of miss that relationship and and let you understand that Dexter really does miss her and misses these moments yeah, and misses that sure. sort of warmth Imagine people want to know the significance of the movie quote from Magnolia. We may be through with the past, but the past ain't through <laughs> with us. Um, I'm a huge Paul Thomas Anderson fan. I'm a huge fan of Magnolia. Me too. I think we both were just like, let's let's drop it in. For me, the Magnolia quote worked because of Dexter's response after, like his line, um, like, oh yeah, I didn't I didn't see that one. Yeah, <laughs> was so Dexter and so like awkward and like yeah. not really. I didn't see that, that the one. point that it felt it felt very real and, and I think it worked in the moment. <laughs> Let's talk about Kurt because that's the Kurt Kurt and Harrison. We as viewers understand who Kurt is at this point, and we see this kill just go terribly wrong. The scene with the you know, with the body, with the mask in the beginning of this episode and when it doesn't work, that explosion of frustration, he plays it incredibly well. He's he's really fantastic in general and as specifically as Kurt. Um, yeah, and, not, and another really, clue really to nice. like, hmm, what's he do? What, what happens to all of this? Mm-hmm. Which then just puts yeah. uh, Harrison in more peril as we watch Kurt like walking through the parking lot and looking for another victim, mm-hmm. maybe finding one and watching Kurt's uh, angst when she's like, yeah, let me ask my boyfriend. <laughs> this was an Easter egg that I got into the script, which is, um, I, uh, that girl's name is Winnie, which is my wife's name. Ah. And I thought it'd be a fun Easter egg just because she's okay. Like she gets away, it's fine. But yeah, <laughs> my one little Easter egg for the episode. Yeah, you have to be careful mm-hmm. when you and you put your wife's name in. Yeah, I know. Yeah, in Dexter, yeah. Out. 
I wonder if you, you know, you see this in the same way that I do. Like part of this episode for me is sort of like the ICU episode, like thematically. Like I feel like, because this is the moment when Dexter really finally sees Kurt and you're building to that great sequence um, at the end of the, the episode. Uh, it's also an episode where I think Kurt sees Dexter, that there's more to Dexter than he's putting on, or at least yeah. Dexter knows more than he wants Dexter to know. And we also have a reveal, I think, about Harrison to some degree. Dexter at least firmly believes now that that Harrison has a dark passenger and is one riding alongside him, and it seems to make a public appearance. So there's a lot of being seen in this episode thematically. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's as as it's at, like just what uh, Dexter says when he's watching his son at, on the wrestling match. You know, watching everybody encouraging these children to like commit acts of violence against one another, which normally should make him feel like, oh, I am a bit more like these people than I thought. But even he's sort of confused by that, leading to that um, that arm break, which mm-hmm. I swear to God, every time we see that, I I flinch. <laughs> And make yeah. a, uh, and then Dexter's voiceover saying, "My son's dark passenger made a very public mm-hmm. appearance today." There's so much going on in this episode. It's 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 like a roller coaster. Yeah, it's juicy. But a funny behind the scenes thing that happened. So we needed a fake arm, obviously, because we're not allowed to break people's arms on in, t- in American television. <laughs> right. I don't know. So uh, they had one shipped over here, but they could they, because of timing and all of that, they just boxed it up and had somebody fly with it. And but they didn't tell the person what was in the box. Mm-hmm. So when they got to the airport <laughs> and they put it through uh-huh. the x-ray and all that, uh, the person got stopped because <laughs> it's a very real looking arm. Of course. <laughs> they had to explain, no, no, I work for a VFA, you know, I work for K&B. This, oh is, part of, this is part of my yeah. job. This isn't a real human arm. But they opened it up and we're just like, what is going on? <laughs> it's for Dexter. Oh, it's for Dexter. Okay, great. That's amazing. Yeah. Go, that's go with God. Oh you know, <laughs> so always, <laughs> always so make sure your, your people know what yeah. is going on. Oh my God. And then Angela making her own discovery. Huge moment. Solving a mystery that's been plaguing her her whole life, you know. One of the things that Julia Jones, you know, made central to her performance was this feeling of guilt for what happened to Iris for never knowing what's, what happened to her. That was something that I've seen, I've been following along on sort of the Dexter Reddit and uh, other places where fans of the show are gathering. And uh, that's been a big question since really, I think episodes one or two is is who is Iris, and there's been a lot of speculation. So it was interesting to drop that news and uh, have uh, Angela finally discover the fate of her old best friend. Yep, and and Julia was amazing in that whole sequence. Like, you know, uh, Eric Weiler built this big cave, built these small small little Mm -hmm. tunnels that were just a little bit too small to like really, really help us feel that drive that she has. And if you watch her when she's crawling through in that really tight space, yeah, that's her really working hard, man. That's great. The directing of that sequence was was fantastic. That's Marcos, I guess. Yep, he yep, did this Marcus episode, Diego. right? Yep, yep. You know, and breaking between, intercutting between sort of the silence and darkness of that cave and the chaos of of the match, it, was, it really built to a great crescendo and a great episode out with, you know, that confrontation between Harrison and Dexter and a moment where Dexter, again, has to choose between sort of his two different worlds, Harrison, and and has to choose between, you know, what's happening with Angela and whether she, it could mean that he could get caught. Yep. Leading, leading all the way back to, I don't need Jim Lindsay, I need Dexter Morgan. And it's always, it's funny, one mm-hmm. of the things we do on this show all the way through is like, Dexter gets phone calls at the least opportune time. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> like right. emergency phone calls, you know, mm-hmm. um, as he's having this big blowout with his son where he's just trying to understand his son and trying to warn him about the dangers mm-hmm. of Kurt and the things that Kurt could say and trying to connect with him so desperately. And then these phone calls just keep coming and coming and coming. And finally he has to answer and she needs Dexter Morgan. Amazing. One of the things that's amazing to watch about Michael C. Hall is, is, um, is even just the way that he listens to Molly's podcast about the Bay Harbor butchery. It's amazing that mm-hmm. just watching somebody listen to a podcast with, with voiceover and all that, but it, he can be so engaging. You just see it all on his face. That's, that's great. By the way, just to mention, Molly, it's yeah. great. I'm a huge Jamie Chung fan. Oh yeah, the stuff that she did in Lovecraft Country was incredible last season, and, and so it's different so much from fun who she is her. here, too. Right? Like, yeah, absolutely. This so quiet, buttoned-downed person, and now this big, outlandish person. You know, yeah, she's yep. she's amazing, and it's, it was really fun seeing her and uh, the whole sequence with her going down into sort of the tunnel with Kurt was great. Very reaching into her bag, getting out the the spray the whole time, yeah. thinking, "Am I going to be?" Mm-hmm. Am I going to be, you know, it's, it, and that came from like, I forget what podcast we we're listening to, but we were listening to a, a, a true crime podcast yeah. where some guy was talking about how, all right, this is crazy, but I'm about to go walking into the house of the guy that I think is a serial killer. And it's that, that yep. extent that you will do, that you will go to tell a story, you know, how far mm-hmm. you will go. And she's got that drive yep. for, you know, for sure. Um, yeah, yep. she's, she's great. And it does, you know, she, yeah, we'll see what happens now that she's, Dug her heels in a little bit with Kurt and a little bit with uh, this Jim Lindsay guy. So Warren, you share lots of great stuff on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your Twitter handle where people can follow you? My Twitter handle is uh, W Leonard. So it's W H S U L E O N A R D. So at that. Yeah, you share lots of great things about writing, lots of great things about Dexter, lots of great things about the stuff you're working on, the things that are close to your heart. Um, you're a great find on Twitter and always positive, which oh, I thanks, man. really love. I you know, love but it. that's you in general. <laughs> and you too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can find me at J Scott Amy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not always as positive, but yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> man, it was such a pleasure to write with you. Uh, I hope we get to do it so again much and again and again. Absolutely. You're so talented. Yeah. You're so smart. So good. <laughs> Stop it, Scott. <laughs> it was really fun doing doing the episode with you too. And I think it's it's been really fun watching. Uh, the episodes and things are really starting to get messy for Dexter and it's going to be really fun seeing what comes next. So good luck with the rest of the podcast and uh, thanks for having me on. It's great. Yeah, thank you so much, Warren. Um, And that's a wrap for this week's episode. Listen every Tuesday and subscribe to the Dexter New Blood wrap-up wherever you get your podcasts and watch Dexter New Blood Sundays only on Showtime. This official podcast of the Showtime original series, Dexter New Blood, is produced by Showtime in conjunction with Malka Media.